Hallo Konstanza. <lacht> We met today for the first time here in Bonn. And nevertheless, it feels quite natural to call you by your first name, <laughs> since we are kind of both enthusiastic about outreach um, and speaking about things we learn through something which everybody considers to be a bit strange to do mathematical research. So we are doing that with the podcast, for example, and you are doing that with a blog, which is called The Rage of the Blackboard. And so I'm really eager to talk with you about your blog. Even if it's kind of funny because a, a blog you should read and not talk about. <laughs> why not combine both um, media and uh, talk about your blog? Mm -hmm. Maybe a good start would be uh, how did you come up with this name? So what does it mean for you, the rage of the blackboard? Yeah, so um, well at the beginning um, the blog was intended to promote the work of uh, female researchers. In, um, at the beginning was in my field in mathematical physics I was interested in interviewing um, senior researchers and uh, female and to talk about their experience uh, and their work and it, in the end I got a bit it got a bit um, drifted to, to talking about their experiences females in, in academia so uh, honestly, in the in the interviews that I have pub published in the blog, we talk very little about their their actual work. I mean, I read it for the interview. I read about them, so I've learned mm -hmm. about what they do. But I I show very little of it in the final articles, and we talk mostly about how research is done, not so much about the exact results that they have, but how they come up with these ideas. And um, um, the title, The Rage of the Blackboard, comes because um, I, I tend, I tend, I, I think people are afraid of the blackboard, and I include myself, and that being in front of a, of a blackboard, an empty blackboard, can be a bit intimidating. But these people, these women, have uh, managed to, to handle it. And actually, the section in the blog that contains all the interviews is called the uh, blackboard whisperers so these are people that that just work with the blackboard on a daily basis and don't have this distress this or this uh, anxiety that that most people have i guess because I mean, most people are not so into mathematics or whenever they they hear that i'm a mathematician they're The usual reaction is like, oh, that's, that's tough. I never liked mathematics. I was never good at it. Um, so I, I feel that mathematics really has this negative reaction that comes from anxiety. And uh, so I, I thought, I pictured um, that people, when they see the blackboard, they might think that they're in front of, a nine, of an angry blackboard um, <laughs> for, for some reason. And, but then... Um, the name, the word rage comes from a theorem that I really, that I, it's one of my favorite theorems in mathematics. It's, uh, it's called rage because it's uh, R for OL um, and uh, A for Andrine, G for Georgescu and E for Enns. So it's uh, four names. Four names, mm -hmm. exactly. It's, these are the names of four mathematicians. And um, and that they made this, this. It's a very nice theorem, and I love the the content of the theorem and also the name. It's, it has a very powerful name. It's called the Rage Theorem. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I, I always wanted to use that, that theorem for something, and I thought this was the perfect opportunity. Mm. It's funny because I have something similar. I have an LBB condition, which doesn't sound so nice um, as rage because it doesn't form a name. But in my head, um, the three persons connected in the theorem Uh, Ladizhenskaya, Babushka, and Brezi uh, kind of live on in that name. And I always like um, to make a pause and then to speak to my students about how a research is found on different places at the same moment mm -hmm. and um, things kind of with a different point of view. And later on, you see that they are kind of on a meta level, they all did the same, and then they are married to LBB. Yes, yes. <laughs> Forever exactly. and this, ever. This is, this is very, very similar. Mm. Uh, right. Uh, um, Yes, it's, it's very similar. People that were working on the same subject came up with a, with similar results, or they built their work on previous work by other mathematicians. And in the end, you have this really nice theorem um, that combines. Um, so, in the theory of linear operators, um, this combines uh, the dynamical aspect of the spectrum with this. Well, with with a spectral type, which is a very abstract thing. Yeah. When you're looking at the spectrum and you have this uh, the composition of the spectral measure, that's a very abstract thing. But this theorem relates that to the actually the dynamics of this of this um, of the states. So you have uh, I don't know propagation of states is somehow related to the absolutely continuous part of the spectrum, and this is all very technical, but. Um, It's just uh, it, it marries, as, as you say, two aspects mm. of op operators: a very yeah. abstract one and a more physical one. Yeah, but of course, the spectrum is kind of a, a typical footprint of the operator to really yeah. see what it's doing. Yes. So, if you come from um, spaces which have only a finite dimension of um, freedom. You always write linear operators as matrices, mm -hmm. and then you know perfectly well that you can rewrite matrices in different bases. Mm -hmm. But they do the same; only the representation and the bases looks different. Mm -hmm. And to find out when they are kind of all the same, you have to find a representation which is kind of a canonical one. And for that, you use the eigenvalues. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the beginning to study spectrum. Spectral type, right? Yeah, exactly. For like this is the spectrum of the eigenvalues. The first approach uh, is uh, looking at eigenvalues, and then when uh, you go into quantum mechanics, then um, looking at unbounded operators, then the matrices become infinite matrices, and mm. uh, uh, the spectrum becomes a bit more complicated than just eigenvalues. But yeah, in the principle, that's that's what you do. It's a generalization of what you do in finite dimension. Mm. And so it's a look behind the curtain, what's really <laughs> kind of in the center of things. And uh, that this is kind of responsible for a lot of things which are done with the operator is not surprising, but to find it out, that's hard. Yeah. And, if you, and then it's a nice moment to see that it's possible. <laughs> I find it fascinating working with... Uh, With uh, linear operators, it's uh, and it has a very uh, physical motivation. That's what I like. Mm. I like about that. I like I like of this field that it is combining um, physics with math. I mean, well, of course, mathematics is the language of physics, but it has a really uh, physical motivation. And and in the end, the blog is also about that, about seeing different aspects of the same work. And this is what I, I want to know when I interview people, is how 
uh, all the different aspects in their life, in their lives, um, influence what they do in their work and how they come up with ideas. Um, and everything, of course, everybody has a different approach to research. Um, but there are, there are things that are similar in how the mind works. And this I find fascinating. I, I really like about... Um, I always ask, okay, so how do you come up with an idea? Which is a bit of a hard question. Um, but It's like asking, why do you like red? Or why do you like blue? <laughs> yeah. you can't yes, that. yes. Just how like do, it. How to explain the thought process? Um, uh, but... And then I always ask, do you have hobbies? And what mm. do you do? And what do you do in a, in a regular day? Or, or just... Mm. Because it often happens that all days are different <laughs> for researchers and, and people working at the university. Because every, every day they have to put off some fire or, or some deal with a different problem. Uh, so it happens often that... Um, People working at the university don't have like a, a, a regular day routine, yeah. um, and they always have to be improvising on the schedule. Um, so I, always, I, I also think that I, I want to know what how they manage, how they handle this, how they manage to stay productive and and to be satisfied with their work with all this uh, improvisation happening in between. Yeah, because of course we could say improvisation is a nice thing because it, it's creative, so yes. it's, there is no routine. routine. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, if you're always uh, overexcited and everything, it costs a lot of energy, which could be spent much better. Yes, and yes, exactly. These are the two poles kind of in, in between where you have to find the place where you feel that you can uh, work in this environment for more than a year or two. <laughs> yes, yes, and this is... For example, one of the, the things that are common to, to the, all the people that I've interviewed, um, that you could say it in a way that it's uh, successful people. I mean, in, in terms that they're satisfied with their work and they're happy with what they mm. do, and they think that it's meaningful. Um, that's how I measure success. And uh, something that they all have in common is that they manage to optimize the situation. And they have uh, developed techniques to do the things that they're supposed to do, even though they have to do all these other things on the side. And um, it is a struggle, and none of them has ever admitted that it's an easy task. But, um, but yeah, they always find a, a way of doing it. They always find a way of managing, balancing uh, work, family, personal interests, hobbies, um, collaborations, yeah. So now I have to ask you for your routine, not of your daily life, but how you come up with a blog article. How do you look for partners? How do you make the conversation? And uh, how does it end up in a written statement on your blog? Well, okay, I have to say that it takes a lot, a lot of time and a lot, a lot of energy. And I'm still finding my way um, because the, I, I know it takes, I'm, I'm taking too much time every time and And I should find an optimal way of doing this and, and really become more efficient. And so far, I haven't really managed, but I'm still working on that. And um, at the beginning, I just wanted to, to do the interviews. And, um, and then I thought, okay, the first thing is to see, well, what are the women in my field? That's a very restrictive <laughs> area. So then I had to expand a bit and then... 
think, okay, what are the women doing mathematical physics? What are the women doing analysis? It's usually things that are I'm interested in because I want to read about what they do. So I I would look for, for women that are working things that I, I find interesting. And I am really the first one that gets uh, that I learn things when, when I talk to these people. And, uh, and then I want to share what I learn. So the motivation is always finding people that are interesting. Um, and uh, so far, I don't have many interviews. I've published two. And, uh, and now I have other two that are lining up. I have to work on them. And, um, and it's, at first it was very hard to find women that would be willing to talk to me. Honestly, I remember I talked to my postdoc supervisor who gave me some some um, suggestions, and I contacted them, contacted them, and not all of them answered. I think only one did, and another one maybe, but she was busy. So in the end, I got one interview, and then this person, she was very very kind and very generous, and she gave me other names. And that's how I continued. Mm. And uh, so far, it's been people that are really engaged with uh, promoting the work of women in science. And if you are doing the interviews, you have a recording device. Yes, yes. So you then just have an oral conversation with them. Uh, no. So usually, I so far I've recorded the interviews. So that's the next stage. Once that they give me the the okay, and I can um, we fix an appointment either in. in direct in, the, in person I visit I visit them if they're close or if they're far away we do a Skype uh, interview and I do research about what their work is and what their career paths has been I try to uh, learn, read a lot about them um, and then I, I send, there is a list of questions that I have so I have a document that explains what I what my goal is mm -hmm. with the interviews and I send that in advance And they can check all the, the, the questions that I'm going to ask in advance. And of course, then there are too many. So then I have to start cutting and selecting. And it all goes, it, it develops in the, in the conversation. And I have, a, if for a live interview, I have a voice recorder. And for Skype calls, I ask them their permission to record. And then we record the interview. And then I use that as a base for writing the article. So, so I, I use some quotes mm -hmm. and I try to make up. Then out of the, the whole conversation, I try to make something coherent. And that takes a lot of time, a huge amount of energy, because I think a lot about what they say, every word, every phrase. And they're very, because they're very interesting people, as you yourself are, after all, you're... You told me your your life, your your career path is extremely, extremely interesting. And uh, usually the people I interview, they have similar stories. I mean, all different, but all um, very, very dynamic and uh, with a lot of changes and uh, challenges. So they all have very interesting, compelling stories. So I try to focus in some things. I cannot... I cannot talk about the whole life. Of course, I don't have that amount of time or energy. So I try to focus on some advices that they have or some message that I think it's, it's important.
So I also have to do a lot of thinking after after I have the interview. I have to think a lot of what they said and what mm. will, what would be the thing that that really left um, something in me and made me think. Um, and this is what usually drives then the article. Yeah. So you just take the conversation as basic material and kind of carry it to the next yeah. level. Yes. Like we do as a mathematician. Yes. <laughs> to try to look behind Something the curtain. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, to, see, to see deeper in what the conversation is and, and try to really get what's behind all this. Yeah. The motives, what drives them, how they do research. These are the usual um, things I'm, I'm, I'm interested in and why, how they manage to stay in academia, which is not a simple question. And... Uh, And then after I write the article, I at the same time I work on the illustrations. So I do the illustrations for the for the interview. Perhaps it would be much easier to just take a picture from the internet. But I think it's it's also another level of processing the information and sending a message. I read about what they do, and then I have I, I meet them, I talk to them, and then I have a general impression of their character mm -hmm. and then I try to put that in the drawing uh, so the, the articles usually have one portrait where I really work on the person and I have all these images, pictures uh, impressions in my mind and then I try to put them on paper and then other the other illustrations is um, about the, the issues that we talk about uh, they usually have uh, opinions on something and that I find interesting so I try to um, make an, uh, an illustration about topics. So yeah, it's in all, it's a lot, a lot of work and a lot of time. Yeah. So I'm very would slow. You, would you dare <laughs> to put some numbers on very long? Yes, a year. A year. A year. So uh, for the first two interviews, it took me a year to publish that. No, the first one a year and the second one a year and a half. So yes, it's a lot of time. Um, but um, I also think it's um, because I cannot work full time on that of course I only work on that in my spare time mm. or in my, during my holidays but I really think that um, doing a good job is very important because I mean these people gave me their time yeah. uh, this is precious for someone that is so busy and, uh, and so far the experience I've had with them um, with this professor female researchers is that They have all been very generous. And they have all been... I mean, I've told them, look, this is going to take me a lot of time. I don't know how successful it will be, but I will make my best to do a serious work and, and to have a nice work at the end. Mm -hmm. And and they're all very understanding. And they're always, they're always... All of them have always said, yes, I know. And uh, when I was your age, I had the same questions and I was wondering and had the same uncertitude so that's um, that's fine that's fine and I, I always try to tell them that I am the first person to benefit from 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 what they're saying and they're, they're really they react in a very positive way so even though it might take me forever to publish these things They really, they really know. I think they understand that I'm the first one. I mean, that they're helping mm -hmm. someone that is younger and is just starting this career, and they're very aware of the need that someone that is younger, the need that, that we have 
to 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 learn from their experience, and I find this is something really nice. This really shows that they're they're very generous. They they remember what they felt when they were younger, and they're willing to share their experience. They're willing. They're very eager to encourage. Um, to encourage either to stay in research or to leave research, yeah. but in any case to be happy and to be try to find success in a way that uh, really um, in, in doing something that you like, be it in, in academia or outside. They're they're usually very um, they're not they're not blind in their in their advices. They're not like oh you have to really always stay in research. And you really have to try until it works. No, no, they're really. Uh, I think I've been lucky because the people I've interviewed, they have this view on success. So we are developing your, our own matrix. What is success? Not yes. just a lot of yes. publication and a lot of PhD students and being a famous <laughs> professor, but uh, yes. being satisfied with what you're doing. Yes, yes, exactly. And having an impact on, on students and people around um, collaborating and building a community. This is usually what they... They focus on, on mm. that, on communicating, collaborating. And, uh, yeah, this is a completely different way of uh, measuring productivity and measuring success. That's true. Yeah, that's a very good observation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is that, of course, uh, with um, writing down things and making pictures and so, one could think that um, once upon a time one could make a book out of that. So now, of course, you know, it's easy to just put it on the internet, on the blog, and then you only have to take care that people will find it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, with our podcast, we, we sometimes uh, fall between everything. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's not easy to, to keep everything together like um, um, a classical publication. Yeah. And so uh, all the conversations I have where I'm always asking for experiences as well, because I think this is so important. So, you know, not just asking uh, the, like the people who already did things we, which we didn't do ourselves, but for example, asking my students, why did they choose to become mathematician? How did things turn out during their study course? Or what did they do in order to succeed? And why did they choose the topic they ended up with a master's thesis? And why did they like that? And when they were working on that, what were their experiences? Did things turn out as they expected it to be? What were surprises? And what did they learn from that? And that it's so interesting even to listen to the young people. Mm -hmm. For me, mm -hmm. as first person. <laughs> and then I'm always thinking of people listening in that they also find that interesting. And um, this never makes it uh, to the things I write down. <laughs> So I'm kind of omitting uh, that difficult part where I don't really know how to make that uh, coherent um, two sentences. <laughs> And this is kind of the bonus material. You have to listen yeah. to the podcast in order to, to learn about that. So you focus more in the in science. Yeah, part. so we always start about a scientific yeah. project. And then um, in the end, I'm asking about how, uh, how they ended up doing the things they do and why they like it. Yeah. So at, at the beginning, that was one of my my goals, and that was part. That, that is part of the questions, and I do. We do talk in the interviews. We do talk about what they do, mm. um, but then in the I have to pick material, and I have to cut, and I have to edit, and I find so fascinating every time what the other things, the, all the things that surround 
the research mm. that I often get stuck thinking of that because it has a very um, it has an impact in in me and, and how I look how I see research and um, so I I usually leave the the science part for the illustrations which is very very abstract but um, I, I do learn about what they do but I usually for the for the articles I so far I've picked more everything that surrounds it that surrounds their work yeah on the other hand it's kind of clear that if you are interested in the research results you can read the papers which yes, already yes, exist of course, of course. and what you have to write down is something which doesn't exist in scientific papers yeah. even if it's as um, important as the scientific results also in mm -hmm. my opinion yeah, yeah. yeah. And our kind of idea was to give a new voice for scientific ideas. So people who would never pick up a paper, um, they nevertheless learn some ideas and they are in the paper uh, by listening to me speaking to the person who, is, who did the work. Um, so what was kind of the starting point? What are the real problems in that? What would be usual mathematical tools and in which way were they applied and where they had to be adapted or new things and developed and things like that. Because also these things very often are not really very clearly in the paper, depending <laughs> on the person who wrote it. So I try to push my students to be more explicit about that, but it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. And, but I think it's a skill that needs to be trained. And uh, so re um, in September, I was in this uh, Heidelberg uh, Laureate Forum, and um, I saw um, one mathematician, a Japanese mathematician that had got the Fields Medal, and he gave really a masterclass of uh, outreach talk. And uh, we were surrounded by mathematicians and people in computer science. And he, he was an elderly researcher, And he gave the first 15 minutes of his talk was something that by, by the end of the 15 minutes, he said, okay, that's it. That's what I wanted to say. Um, so you can just stop here and, and you got the, the, the message. You got the, the main ideas of my theory. And uh, But now, okay, now if you want uh, more technical details now, okay. Mm -hmm. I, I will show you more technical details. And then he continued with the technical part of his talk. But those 15 minutes, for me, it was really uh, mind-blowing because he showed a very... He explained a very, very uh, sophisticated theory. Um, but using pictures, he took pictures and then explained it with hands and he, he, he boiled everything down to, a, to concepts that people, everybody can understand. And he didn't dump down the ideas. He just really went to the core of it, explaining in, in a very, very simple setup that everybody can relate to. Not, you don't need to, to know maths to, to, to get that. And I thought that this, this, this came from someone that is an expert in this field, but he wasn't interested in, in, in impressing people or talking, you know... Which Just was the first sentence, everybody feels stupid. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he wasn't interested in that. And um, he, was, he wasn't afraid of making his theory simple. And it really sounded, it really looked very simple. Of course, as a mathematician, I know it was extremely sophisticated. But, but um, so I was able to appreciate 
how uh, what um he, he really has to master i mean that, that that shows you the guy is an expert because he really masters his stuff to the point that he can explain it with his hands mm. and i thought this was really beautiful to see and i wish that people would do that more often and people would also see appreciate doing that uh, because i have the feeling people sometimes are are afraid of of seeming simple or explaining things in a too simple way um but come on we're we're all in universities i mean it's full of bright people <laughs> full of intelligent people i i don't think this should be a concern yes and also we should all be eager to learn from each other Because we know that everybody has to give something because otherwise it wouldn't be at university. And by hiding everything, you can't learn. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, that I, I wish people would be more open and more willing to do outreach on what you're doing with the, with the podcast, mm. for example, to, to really explain in a clear way and go into the essence of what you do. And it's, it's, a, it's a big exercise to think, okay, what is it really what I'm, that I'm doing? And I think it's a very useful exercise. I think it's very important. Yeah. So you um, had a very positive experience with this laureate uh, forum in Heidelberg. And in a way, I'm, I'm seeing this as something which is really a good idea to have kind of a mentoring of very young people by people who are... Um, kind of the ones which got the, the best prizes, everything, so really ingenious people and very often also people who are ready to share everything. But I have one misgiving about that. <laughs> Just, I don't know. But um, of course, uh, since they are all kind of in a certain age, they are more or less all men. <laughs> and how did it feel to be there young women? even if there are more young women uh, together with the young men, to have uh, all examples being kind of men of a certain generation. Yeah, 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 This is uh, that's true. Um, so the audience, so the people that, the, the young researchers were half and half, I think they really did a, a conscious effort to have a, to have diversity. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, I mean, the, the organizers were, were careful about that. And then the, the laureates, Well, there was one uh, one uh, woman, and uh, yes, at some point I did feel like in mathematics there were only men, and um, yes, I did feel that. And uh, but these are all people that have either got the Fields Medal or the Navalina Prize or the Turing Prize, and they're just not. They're just simply not enough women there. And this is, well, this is kind of my misgiving about that, yeah. is that I think they apply the wrong measure to measure success. <laughs> If they only invite uh, people with these kind of prizes. Absolutely. I completely agree that... Um, I mean, they're measuring success in this way. Yeah. Um, but I do understand that this is like a, the, the, an analog of the Linda Forum, mm. where, which has only Nobel Prizes. So they wanted to do the same thing with the noble equivalent of yeah. uh, maths and computer sciences. And uh, I do, I, I did feel that it was a very elitist environment. Mm. So I think the selection procedure is, is, is tough. And there's people coming from many different parts of the world. But I do feel that it's, it's so fancy 
you see it's luxurious mm. you see a lot of uh, big display of money of funding and um, and of bright people so it's not really it's not really my style I mean I, I went there with a very uh, open mind and I was very curious about the experience um, because I tend to avoid these elitist environments because I don't come from this background I, I, I don't come from an elite I don't have an you know a, brilliant career path and I don't come from a I wasn't trained from early age to become a mathematician so I don't feel I really fit um, so it was uh, so I, I was a bit okay I was I was curious but at the same time skeptical and it had very nice things but it also had this aspect that is it's fancy and you see a lot of resources in in just being just showing off and, and you know impressing people I, I really don't know how much of this is necessary um, because I feel that one should be a, a big effort to to somehow relax in the mood mm. and making people feel comfortable. But in spite of in spite of all that, the ambience was very good and um, the people, the young researchers, were very open and very friendly. And although at first I was a bit worried that maybe I might encounter, I don't know, a bunch of nerds. No, they were all very, very uh, um, open and, and, and curious. And, and the people, the laureates that were invited, were all very open to talk to the young people and to talk of all kinds of things, even the trivial things. Mm. They were very friendly and very accessible. And they would spend hours just surrounded, hours, 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 surrounded by young people and answering questions, giving advice. And that, I thought, was really nice. That really... It's also a good example to think, to follow in that path, giving, sharing the experiences with younger people. Yes, I think the really big people that are willing to do that, mm. because you have to be very patient with yes. all these young people asking all kinds of questions from the most technical ones to the most you know, practical things and of course this lady that was um, uh, the lady that was there the only woman got all kinds of mm. gender related questions and she was very patient she was very very yeah, nice because in the end you should be I could be a bit angry to be reduced to the fact that, <laughs> that you're a woman who's experienced a woman yes, because so you're of course also a scientist so, yes, actually, I heard men complaining mm. about this, mm. that I saw uh, researchers, actually, complaining, postdocs complaining that, oh, it must be sad that she's, you know, she's only here. I mean, no, they, they won't say that, but to, they, they, they did remark on the fact that she was the only woman and she had to talk about it. But then, so at first I was very shy about that and I didn't want to ask the obvious questions, but then... You know, it's just a matter of need. You just need to know. And I'm a woman in research, and I just want to know how her experience was. Mm. And um, and as, as you just said before, I can read a book about what she, she did. And by her ex personal experience, I won't find anywhere else. And she was very open about that. And she knew, we, you know, young people need to know. And she didn't have an easy experience. Mm. She didn't, didn't have an easy Uh, start in, in academia and she would tell open, she would talk openly about it she would talk openly about all, her, all the challenges 
she faced for being a woman in a men's uh, environment. And I think this was really, this was really nice. She was, again, an example of generosity. You know, she wanted to share mm. her views and, and, and being, be supportive. And she was very patient. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and also her, uh, yeah, everybody was very, very patient with all the, with all the participants and, I'm very willing to share, and I think that was really the best part of it, that I, I got to see these people, the senior researchers, really senior researchers, mm. um, eager to talk to young people. And, uh, you know, starting a conversation. I mean, people are shy, of course. I mean, I, at some point, um, they, they have to sit in, in different tables during lunch on purpose because they have to interact. And uh, I was there, and some laureate came, and we were all a bit shy and, 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 and very intimidated at the beginning, and this person would just start talking and, and you know, try to break the ice. This was nice. Too. I usually tend to think that they're like far, far up, up there in their bubble. Mm. But actually, no. no the, 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 the ambience was very nice. Yeah. Because, of course, in their daily life, it's probably hard to reach them with questions even from their collaborators because their <laughs> schedule is so um, full of things they have to take care for. And then this is a luxurious um, environment also for them just to have time. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. And to be there, available the whole mm. day, the whole day with the young researchers mm. and every day for a week. Yeah. So, how was your path um, through mathematics which led you to Bonn? So, you are not German, <laughs> which is obvious by the fact that we speak English. Uh, so, where are you from and um, how did you end up here? So, I'm from Chile. I did my undergraduate in my uh, hometown in La Serena, um, which is a town known for, for astronomy, it has observatories. And... Um, And first, I, I went to, I, I started in, in the physics program, but then I switched to mathematics because I, I realized that I couldn't understand the physics if I didn't understand the mathematics. So there's always, I always have an interest for physics, even though I couldn't become a physicist myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then I did, uh, I, I, after my, my bachelor, I did a, a master. Um, but then I wanted to go out and uh, do and continue studying uh, abroad. I wanted to to learn. I was curious about what was happening outside. So I um, I left. Uh, I interrupted my master in Chile, and then I went to France. I got accepted in for a master program in uh, Paris Six, and uh, so I moved to France to Paris. Um, after I finished my one year master. I continued with a PhD in France, in at the University uh, of Sergi Pontoise, and um, and then I finished my PhD, and then I thought, well, now I would like to continue, <laughs> and I applied for a Marie Curie grant, an, in, an inter-European fellowship, to go to Germany, and and in between I also did a. Uh, other uh, short uh, postdocs in uh, I was for a trimester 
in uh, Stockholm, in the Metaglefler Institute. That was really nice. Was... I would like to go there once. Oh, that was amazing, an amazing mm. experience. I loved it. Mm. Um, and then I was also in Slovenia. Mm. So back then, uh, my husband was doing a postdoc in Slovenia. So I went to his uh, institute um, and uh, and worked a bit there. And uh, I mean, it was great because I could I could be at home. And um, and then uh, I was accepted for this uh, Marie Curie grant, and then I went moved to Munich for two years at uh, Ludwig Maximilians University. Um, yeah, and after those two years, I had to apply again. And uh, I found this postdoc in, in Bonn, and I was very lucky to get a, to get this position. And now it's um, the application season again. <laughs> I'm starting to apply uh, here and there. Mm. Yeah, but I think Bonn is really an interesting place to be at because a lot of really bright um, young persons from all over the world um, choose to come here because yes, yes, possibilities are so many. In, in general, in Germany, I've had this really nice um, experience. Uh, there's a lot of people doing mathematical physics and very, very good people. And um, and they have really... Uh, I mean, also in, in, in Munich, uh, they had they have seminars all the time with really bright people coming from all over the world. And, um, and then I came to Bonn and... There is the, the, the department is just huge, and then there's also the Max Planck mm. Institute, and there are things going on all the time. And um, here, I'm in a, so in Munich, I was in a, the analysis group, and here I'm in the stochastics group, which is a big change. Um, but I'm learning tons, and every time I'm discovering things, and it's just really fascinating. Mm. So maybe that's a good moment <laughs> to close the conversation for today. Uh, wishing you all the best for the next application. <laughs> Thank and you. And to see where <laughs> your career and your life will lead you to. Thank you to all the best for the podcast. <laughs>